Come on to my house, my house, I'm gonna give you candy. Come on to my house, my house, I'm gonna give you apple plum. All right, welcome to the hot stove. We got to move on because this is getting crazy around here. We're here in downtown Seattle. We're at the Hot Stove Society. We're in the beautiful Hotel Andra. We have a lovely audience today that's uh, going to be ripe for Terry's audience Cherry motivation tactics. Very cherry and merry, I think. Cherry and merry. Cherry like in the liqueur or yes, cherry as in cheery? No, no, the liqueur. Oh, the liquor. I'm Terry Rotero, the chef in the hat. And we're thankful that you're with us. Uh, hopefully you are listening to us on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day and we're having a ball and you're opening presents and you're making a big... What are you making? I know, you're, I know what we're making on... Uh, Saturday night, we're making a big rib roast, but there's uh, so many people have different traditions. So I wanted to do vegetarian, and I got voted down. Not by me. I didn't say anything. I know. It wasn't okay. you. A big broccoli rib roast. <laughs> so we went, from, <laughs> we went from vegetarian to a standing Danny. rib roast. There was no in-between. There's no in-between. Okie dokie. I like it. And uh, one of the great things about uh, me helping Pamela with this rib roast on Saturday is that uh, she has handed me a recipe. Oh boy! Uh, and <laughs> it is—it um, doesn't happen to be from my book because you know, I do have a recipe in my book for standing rib roast. So she's a lot like my daughter. She'll stand around all night, look at her iPhone. Seems like the closer they get to you, the more they the less they use my book and go get some recipes. <laughs> the good news about it all is it's my friend Bruce Idell's book that she that she gave me the recipe oh, from, good. and so I haven't seen Bruce in a couple of years now. Bruce, I know. he's married to Nancy Oaks, who has True. a Boulevard restaurant uh, down he's in. Probably Sanford thinking Stone. it easy. I certainly hope so. Uh, you've all seen his face on meatballs and sausages at the Costco and grocery stores. He sold his face, his image, That's right. about 20 years ago now. And he's doing well with that. Uh, we're delighted to have uh, our audience here. They're about to get a tasty breakfast made by Eamon and our hot stove team. Tickets for taping for are 25 bucks on the hot stove website if you want to join us at any time. We tape generally except over the next month. Uh, we tape generally uh, at, on Thursday mornings from 9 to 11 here at the Hot Stove. We're going to have a great big... How's our New Year's Eve celebration tickets selling? We, we need to sell a few more tickets, okay. so I'm going to work on that this week. We're, we're limiting it to what? It's a small, intimate group of 8,000? Yeah, <laughs> 8,000 would be good. What are you, finishing the Space no, Needle? <laughs> I think we only take... 30 or 40, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. 30. So it'll be fun if you're looking for something to do on New Year's. Come join us here at the hot stove and we will celebrate together. We end at 11 so that everyone has time to go to the needle afterwards. Right, right. No, absolutely. And that I have time to go get my beauty sleep. We're going to talk about enjoying caviar, chocolate, cheer uh, with, uh, with tropical what? Mendiance. What the heck is that? You love them. It's the bark. Uh, so, mendiant, just so you know, the French word mendiant uh-huh. is actually pronounced mendiant. We don't pronounce the T at the end. But also means a beggar. Somebody on the street who's begging. Who's begging. He's a mendiant. Okay, then. Uh, we're going to, as I said, dissect Bruce Idell's recipe for standing rib roast. Uh, woodchuck warmers and other cocktail ideas to leave for Santa. You know who Santa is, right? So <laughs> thank you for that. Veggie's dressed up for company. Jackie Cross is going to join us here, my wife, at the end of the show with a new recipe for the gingeriest gingerbread. Is that a word, mm, gingeriest? We get to eat it. <laughs> Lastly, of course, we're going to finish the show with our Rub With Love Tasty Trivia Challenge, which I fully, you know, I've been just crushed for a few weeks now, and I think for our, my Christmas present from you, yes, I'm asking dear. you for the easiest questions possible, <laughs> possible today. Yeah. You're trying to put your plug in. Yes, exactly. Good, good. Okay, Chef uh, in the Chapeau, what is your taste of the week? My taste of the week is... Uh, 
what everybody, or would, I would encourage people who can afford it to do it, is to hmm. uh, send a couple side of coho salmon from Bristol Bay through Eva's Wild. Sakai, Sakai. Sakai, pardon me, through um, Eva's, Eva's Wild, Wild. Yeah. Eva's Wild uh, website. I just did that to my, I don't know if I should say that in the air because I haven't got it yet, so... It's a, present. it's a present. Yeah. So anyway, sending salmon as you are from Seattle to anybody who is not in Seattle, I think is probably one of the best gifts you can give to somebody because no one has salmon like we do and as fortunate as we are to have those wild fillet of salmon and have salmon like the way we know salmon. Huh? Anyway, anytime, you, anytime I go somewhere else and they have salmon, it's never wild salmon. It's always Atlantic raised salmon. Uh-huh. So we are so spoiled. The, we are the, very, the, very access yeah, to and wonderful you, fish. You know how fortunate you are every time you go somewhere else. Because yeah. you taste that salmon, you go, yeah, it's okay, but this is not what it's all about. All salmon has flavor and taste. And mm-hmm. that's my taste of the week because I thought that would be a good taste of the week. Beautiful salmon from Bristol Bay. And by going to Eva's Wild, you're also supporting the fact of trying to preserve that last part of the world that has that wild salmon and they're trying to build a mine over it we all know what that would happen next for your children and grandchildren that's a great idea there you go good idea chef i'm very proud of you i sent pastrami boxes <laughs> oops. <laughs> oops wild preserve <laughs> preserve yeah, for the sure. worst part of it they're from michigan <laughs> my friend owns zingerman's deli in michigan and uh uh, he's got a great website of different <laughs> gifts. So this year I sent my nephews pastrami boxes. The good news for the, about that is also I sent myself one. <laughs> so, While you were on the website, you might as well. Sure. I know, and I thought that it was supposed to arrive yesterday. I was going to put it on the show today and treat you all, but uh, eh. you missed out. He's going to gain. I, I guess. Uh, I guess they don't come down our street. Although my street is perfectly clear. Is yours clear yet? Yeah, I don't know what happened yesterday because it's never been cleared in the 25 years that I've lived there. And? But it's dry as a bone today. And when we got home last night, there were public it's utility called, it's trucks everywhere. Ah. <laughs> All right. Happened. My taste of the week is I cha- I'm the boozer at our company, and I challenged our booze buyers at each of the restaurants to send me a, uh, their favorite Christmas cocktail. And I just BS my way through it and made one up in my head that I thought sounded good. So last night at the Seatown Christmas party for our team... I made myself one of the ones that I sent out, a chai toddy. So I made chai tea, but the trick was, and what really put it over the top was a smoky scotch, like Art Bag or or Laphroaig or something like that, a little smoky chai. Are you a smoky scotch girl? What's your number? We got to go out. (laughs) I know all of the places that have great smoky scotch. We can take my wife too. I'm not. I'm not trying to, not trying to do that kind of thing. I'm just saying, not too many people like them. It's it's nice to go enjoy a smoky scotch with somebody. Just saying. Pamela yes. doesn't like them. I don't like them. Yeah. All right. That's my taste of the week, and it was delicious, by the smoky way. Smoky scotch and, and wild salmon. Chai tea. Chai tea. Yeah. <laughs> chai toddy. You guys are off the rails today. We're so lucky to have a little caviar spot here in town called Seattle Caviar. Yes. Today we're going to talk about how to enjoy it. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Breakfast black coffee, one slice of dry toast, no butter, no jelly, no jam. Lunch, just some lettuce, two celery stalks, no booze, no potatoes, no ham. Dinner, 
Thank you for hanging with us. We're back in the hot stove kitchen here on Cairo Radio. We're going to talk caviar for a few minutes. I have to make a chef, you know, when you were open at your restaurants, you make runs to Seattle Caviar all the time. I don't make them as often because my customers uh, can't uh, always afford beautiful caviar. I don't uh, like think that, your I don't customers, think that's true. I know, but one of your most famous dishes that you made, you're right, that's not true. Uh, one of the most famous dishes that you made was an egg that was scrambled, put back in the shell, topped with uh, lime creme fraiche and caviar. And yeah. so, you, and you sold a million of those. Yes. And so you often had to go to Seattle Caviar or at least well, order. They would for, deliver weekly for sure. Of course they would. With for what many you years. Ordered, yes. So uh, let's talk caviar. What If somebody's out there looking what they should buy, let's get out of the way the, the crappy caviar first. Right. Well, there's no that, crappy caviar yes, at there, Seattle Caviar, for sure. Oh, no, no, no. Not at Seattle, but in the grocery store. Right. They often have caviar on the shelf, and that is not what you want to serve. So if you don't know about caviar, but you have a liking for things that are of that nature, and you want to treat yourself, my best recommendation is go to Seattle Caviar. It's on East Lake. And it's a beautiful store. They have um, all kinds of beautiful fine product, champagne, foie gras, caviar. But they focus on caviar. That's called Seattle Caviar for a reason. They have the best line of caviar in this town in terms of how many diverse products they have of caviar. Now, caviar is not just one thing. It's many things because it's a, basically a cured fish egg. But anyway, caviar is, comes in many different shapes and forms. And, you know, there is, there is eggs from many different fishes. The most prized is, of course, the beluga caviar, uh, double zero, triple zero. Those are the from most... From the sturgeon. Right. And they're the most, what do you call it, the most prized Right. In the world. But we can't get it because it's almost always poached. Correct. Yes. Yeah. And Not poached so, like in boiled, but poached as to in To me, stolen. the best, one of the top caviar that's at Seattle Caviar is the Idaho Farm Caviar, which is absolutely incredible. It is much more, first of all, it's, we call it local caviar because it's in Idaho, right close by, part of the Northwest. You know, if we, if we put Idaho in the Northwest. And uh, it's also a delicious product because it's not quite as strong cured as um, some of the other fish, eggs. And to me, it's the most delicate than they have on, on hand. Mm. That would be my first speak to start. But so is recommend- that paddlefish row then? No, no, no. It's a sturgeon. It's a sturgeon, okay. It's a farm sturgeon. And the cool thing about farm sturgeon caviar farm <clears throat> is they're almost 100% use of product between the fish and the egg. So it's a really beautiful you know, way of farming Something and typically farmed fish like that is a closed system. Oh, it is a closed which is system. what we talk about with wild farm salmon. Is that especially right here in, in the Northwest, we had open pen farming in our sound, so right. fish can escape and, and right. mix in with the wild, and that's a problem. Yeah. Right, and this that's is why not, the, the state just banned it. The only thing they use is the river water. They use the, the water from the river, right? But they don't have the fish in the river. Their fish yeah. is actually in a tank big tank. Yeah, but they can clean the feces out. They can do all sorts of things. Yeah, Yeah. it's well managed. But what I was going to say is take yourself and a friend or somebody who likes to, who likes caviar as well. Go to Seattle Caviar and take one of their testing classes or testing, um, go for there for an hour or two and then devote yourself to learn about caviar from trout fish roe all the way up to flying fish roe and all the way up to caviar, which we know the, the black eggs than we know from uh, trout, and I'm, I'm sorry, from uh, sturgeon, and just educate yourself about 
all the different kind of caviar there is out there. Because right. there is a, a, a lot of them. So if you want to go cheap in the beginning, right. if, you, if you think you don't want to take a chance on spending 30 to $50 for an ounce of caviar, um, you can start with kind of the Greek dip of terra masalata, which is sure. kind of like just a, an inexpensive caviar that's mixed with... Well, I don't even know what teramasalata, yogurt probably, or feta, or something of that, maybe <laughs> maybe a combination. And that's a, a nice spread. If you want to then take another step up, I would uh, pro- probably, although it's textually sensitive for some people, the ikura, which is the salmon roe, right? Right, right. It, it pops and doesn't right. is, has a nice texture to it, and it's beautiful. You don't really cook any of this stuff, right? This is all salted uh, product, right. So, right. Uh, but you want to spoon it on after things are cooked. Correct. The warmth of the meal below is nice with it, but you definitely don't want to cook Correct. the caviar. You don't want to cook it. No, so then, sure. if you, then I think you now can move to a paddlefish row yep. at eighteen or twenty dollars an ounce. Right. Is that about right? Right. Yeah. And then you. That's this is all the different things, and you will test when you go to see right. caviar. So now you make a little omelet, right? Like a even like a chef omelet with herbs. You roll it out. You just beautiful on the plate. You put a little bit of sour cream on top of your omelet, right. and then you put a dollop of the paddlefish roe. Sure. And you are a genius. Right. Or, or you take a piece of uh, raw salmon from Eva's Wild. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about it earlier. And you just take a thin slice, and then you put a little bit of um, argan oil, which is a nutty oil, and you put a nice spoon of that caviar on top of that fish. Mm-hmm. That will also be a beautiful combination. So then we step up to the next level, we'll say, which is the savruga or the ocetra Correct. of grading of the farm-raised, somewhat local, at least right. West Coast, caviar that's mm-hmm. available at Seattle Caviar yep. at probably $45 an ounce, yeah, right? Or 50 or 60 I mean, it goes up. It's, the prices have risen quite yeah, maybe since like I everything bought. everything else. Yeah. So <clears throat> what do you do with something when you're getting into that level? Let's say $50 an ounce, you're getting to into me, that. To me, this is what I, the Sevruga is what I would put on top of cooked fish. Like if I was doing a, a nice beurre blanc, for example, uh-huh. with a, a piece of white, uh, let's say, lingcod. You know, you just do a nice uh, baked lingcod or poached lingcod, and then you put beurre blanc on top. That's when I would put my caviar right on top of Sevruga. You'd, you'd use something as fine as Sevruga. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. to me, I'm starting to get to the point where... I'm only going to use that where that is right. the entire star. So on a buckwheat blini or on a Correct. piece of buttered toast. That is also where I would put it on the on the that and the, and the Ocetra. I mean, Sevruga and then Ocetra, a step above that. Well, let's where. stay on Sevruga for one second. Because so Sevruga I is say, definitely what I would put on okay, blini. So here's, here's the problem I have. It's a little bit like steak tartare to me. Mm-hmm. People are... You know, spending $50 an ounce, and all of a sudden they're adding sour cream and chives and all sorts of things. And I know we we might even disagree on this a little bit because you put it on top of your egg that had chives. Sure. But to me, when you get to this next, the Sevruga level, as far as I'm concerned, step away. Right. And don't mess with it That's too much. what I do with Beluga. I don't touch anything. So we can't get Beluga. So let's drop that. But Ocetra. Right. You can actually That's get... That's the next level up. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can get Sevruga. I mean, uh, Ocetra. And Ocetra to me is the... So it's a grading. It's not necessarily the real Ocetra from the Caspian Sea. No. Caspian Sea, right? right. No, it's we don't buy from local. that. Yeah, it's local. Home and domestic. But it is beautiful eggs, you know, a little... So what fruit. makes it beautiful? To what do me, you like about the Ocetra? To me, what I like about the differences of caviar is as you go up in price, you also go up in delicateness. Delicateness meaning that first you get an egg that's really, you know, what, what most people would describe as fishy. So you start with the fishiness and it 
dissipate as you go up. When you get to the level of the top caviar, the fishiness is not, I, I hate to call it fishiness because yeah, that's, that's not, not really there. the yeah, word. That's but, not the right word. But the, the it's more briny and ocean and, and the ocean depth than you get. Same with sea urchin, if you have ever had sea urchin. Now, wait a know. second. One's freshwater and one's saltwater. Right, but the point is that the brine The briny comes the, from salting. And, yeah. and the flavor that comes up once you start brining the eggs is different from the bottom all the way to the top. And the delicateness that comes with those eggs and the texture of the egg is so delicate when you get to the Bocetra and Beluga are so delicate because the eggs become, they have this, this thing when you put it in your mouth that doesn't have any resistance. It's just like melts in your mouth right under your tongue and it gives you that unctuousness. I don't know. So you're not looking for a little pop on your eggs? Not when you get to the... Not when you get to the top. Well, I... Tiny a resistance, tiny, but yeah. the resistance is less as you go up. I mean, the flying fish row is obviously cracking, right. popping. The trout row is popping. The ikura has a little pop, mm. and then the osetra has, you know, less pop. Yeah. And so does the beluga. But if you are uh, somebody who can take that kind of flavor, then you can afford it. You owe it to yourself to walk to Seattle Caviar. Uh, chocolate is especially comforting and celebratory in winter. And so we're going to talk about that when we come back on Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. Almost touching my Smokey Joe's Cafe. A chill was running down my spine. Smokey Joe's Cafe. Everybody say a chocolate. All right, here we go. It's uh, back in the hot stove kitchen. We're having a very celebratory show today. We're talking rib roast and caviar and all the fun things that uh, uh, you only do maybe once a year. little rectification on prices, Pam. You want oh, yeah, that? Pam looked it up yeah. during the break. Uh, <laughs> uh, these guys were way behind the times. It's really 145 for the Acetra announce. 100 uh, for the Idaho, and 80 for the paddle. No, I can't remember the last one. I asked Pam how much I should bring for the 10 of us at dinner, and she said, oh, a pound. <laughs> and which oh, kind? Which oh, kind did pound. you buy? Just kind of like an offhand pound. Which kind did you she buy? She likes the Ocetra. Yeah. yeah. Uh, chocolate is especially comforting and celebratory in the winter. Uh, and Pam, you found a recipe in food and wine that kind of uh, knocked your block off there. Tell us about that. It was um, a beautiful way to make a, a chocolate open face candy bar, uh, mendiant. Now that Terry has educated Cor- me us. <laughs> on how to say it. But it's a, a way to customize these beautiful discs with tropical fruit like papaya and pineapple. So you temper your chocolate and pipe it out into a round and then you can go crazy with any kind of assortment Anything, yeah. of of nuts and fruits. So it's like it's like a fancier version of a chocolate bark. And super simple to and do. Yeah, super, super simple. simple. And you can customize it to your favorite things. I'm going to try it with some coconut and pistachios and a little bit of uh, chopped papaya. So the, I think the idea is that you buy a, like you, you go to Chef Shop or somewhere, and you buy like five-pound bar of chocolate. That is your favorite mix. So how do you temper it? Do you know? I know Chef... She, they've got, uh, in this recipe, there's a method in the microwave that looks really easy. Mm. But I would prefer to just have that wonderful rhythm of cooling and yeah, heating I mean, the, it the on idea, my marble. The idea is you cut your chocolate in small pieces as possible. 
and that facilitates the melting down because you want it to go as fast as possible to melt. But you're not using a high heat, you're using water bath and you're, you're looking at your chocolate melting and you're moving it the whole time it's melting down. The idea of tampering chocolate is you bring it down to 40 uh, degrees and then you bring it back up to 80 degrees. So the, the movement of melting the chocolate down did I say 40? You said 40. I and didn't mean 40. You must be centigrade, <laughs> yeah, or mean, what are you talking about? You hanging out in the walk-in? I mean 40 degrees Celsius. <laughs> Celsius, yeah. Thank you. So anyway, you bring the, the idea is you melt your chocolate down on medium heat with water bath underneath. So you have the chocolate in a bowl, small pieces. You melt it down, and then you let it cool off gently while you're moving it, and then you put it back in the water bath and bring it up to temperature to about 80 degrees, 90 degrees. You bring it back up to that temperature, and then your chocolate is tempered, which means that it won't separate once you use it into a covering of anything. or And it won't make, cloud up. It won't cloud up and it won't separate, which is one of the things of chocolate. You know, if you drop a drop of water into your chocolate while it's melting, I don't know how many of you have done that, but it's really not very... It seizes. It seizes, yeah. yeah. It, it becomes this clump of chocolate. Okay, and, well, what I kind of like about this and why I think it attracted you, Pam, is that it's like an arts and crafts project. Yes, because you, you can make the, a mosaic. Yeah, once you get the tempering down, okay, now you've got the chocolate and you can pick whatever ring you want. Right. Now, chocolate's too thin, right, to go into a cookie cutter and keep a shape of a cookie cutter? No, I mean, uh, so it's, yes, it is too thin, but if you pour it over a parchment paper that's been oiled gently, uh-huh. so you have a little fat or wax paper, and you pour your chocolate over that, you let it cool off gently, so now you have a sheet of chocolate, and as it cools off, you take your, your, oh, I see what your ring, yeah. your cutter, and then you cut the chocolate while it's still mullable. Then now your rings are made, you let it cool off all the okay. way. And, and then, then you do remove. you have to retemper what's you what's no, no, left? No, no, no. Then, you, then you remove those rings, those those circles, and you have chocolate circles. Yeah, but you got a bunch of chocolate left on the sheet. I'm saying, oh, do that, you just you retemper can. that and melt oh, that yeah, again, yeah. right? Yeah, that okay. you can remelt. Okay, so Pam, you're the arts and craftsy person around here. So, what's going to make your Medellin uh, special to you? How am I going to know when you drop three of these on my front porch? How am I going to know? Oh, these must be from Pam. Because it's going to be a beautiful, symmetrical design. Like, so it'll look like a piece of tile Moroccan from Morocco. Ah, from, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, the other thing you could do, as I was thinking about that, the other thing you could do is you take your pastry roller, and when the chocolate is still soft, you put it over your pastry roller so, oh, it's, yeah. so it has a half round shape. So now it becomes a little basket. That would be... And then you could take some fill icing. Fill it with cream. You could say, put some icing <laughs> on the outside. You could write a big... Beautiful P on the outside, so people will know it's I from could Pam. sign it. Oh, this is there getting you go. good. Now we're getting good. Okay, so now you've got your twill, well, your, your, your tile. Are you going to spray it with edible food colors, or no, are you no, going to no. put something? If you temper the chocolate, juice. <laughs> you want people to see the gloss of it okay, and the snap of it. So, so well, what is your mix that you're going to put on top? What's your mendion? Uh, pistachios. Yeah, toasted, toasted, coconut, toasted, toasted salted, ab- toasted and salted. Thank okay. you very much. If I had forgotten that stage, crushed. disaster. And they're going to be crushed in smaller pieces, and you're going to well, dust I, the whole. I asked her what her thing is, chef. I, I'm, I'm talking for her because I was with her when she said. That. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure about my coconut though. That has to be toasted. But how to make that well, pistachios uh, and coconut? Yeah, okay. together. How to make that artistic? And remember to make the pieces small because the bigger the pieces, the less it will stick. And the most disproportionate it will become into your chocolate. Thank you. And into your bite, right? Because when you yeah. take a bite of it, you want a little bit of everything in yeah, there. Yeah, that coconut, uh, you know, they're, they're about an inch long, you know, or more than that. 
You don't want those pieces to be no, hanging from your chocolate. Be, be. So you want to you want to cut it down, chop it down. In the recipe, the um, top colorful fruits were sour cherries, golden berries, cranberries, or goji berries, and those all sound like a perfect contrast with a really nice dark chocolate. I was thinking cranberry and mangoes because mangoes are really in season in Hawaii right now, <laughs> or some places somewhere. Somewhere, there, no, there is somewhere they're in season. There's beautiful mangoes. <laughs> there's beautiful mangoes on the market right now, and I was like, oh yeah, mango and chocolate. I like mango and chocolate. I think it's a it's a good combination. And then the uh, the cranberry, I would put them in sugar, let them sit a couple of days in sugar, and then you know toss them in the middle of that mango, so you'd have that pop of like sweet and. So I think the big thing here is that we're making a craft project. You got a, now you got a chocolate base, mm-hmm. and you've got this some nut and coconut. But now you're getting into fruits that if you don't handle them properly, they're going to weep all over Ooh. your chocolate. Right, so they that have to be, be dry. I would, advise, so, I would advise to let the person who gets the gift to finish the dessert. <laughs> well, no. I mean, they have these in all the stores. So what do you do to make sure that your fruit, your mango, doesn't weep and isn't all over? The, you, know, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. Your cranberries, too. You can't just sugar them. Well, one of the solutions is to pre-whip, meaning that you make it whip first, and then you drain it. And So how do you do that? Well, you could do... So you got uh, a fresh mango. What do you do? You could do rendering in sugar, for example. You add a little sugar to the fruit. You leave it on the rack overnight to be basically weeping so the, the, sh- the water will come out of the fruit and your fruit will be um, You don't cured. have to oven dry it at all? Or? But you could, that's another way you can do it is to do oven dry, like a you know, dryer, and dry your mango. And you can oh, choose it's how gotta far. It's got to be dried. How dry. far you All dried go. fruits. Well, we're talking about if you're doing this because you're not going to just go buy dried fruits to put Yes, on. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love the project. I thought your friends were worth the effort. I love the project. It starts with a gold Mercedes and finishes with I don't know what at the end. Like, no, I'm buying this in the can. Like, why go through so much trouble? Go to so, the end. Go so to the end. Why don't you just go to drive fruit section? It's fantastic. Why don't you just go to Chef Shop and buy them already done? If yeah, I know they already they have beautiful and put, fresh and just write pH right on them like you like you did it with, a, with a marker, no chocolate. Yeah. Okay, we stopped so far at pistachio and coconut. Are you going any other direction? The recipe is really inspirational and. Uh, the nut and seed assortment includes sunflower seeds, pepitas, poppy seeds, almonds, cashews, or shelled peanuts. Uh-huh. I'm a big cashew fan. Uh-huh. So I think I want to get something in, use the cashew for the white, choose one of the red fruits, and then something golden. In well, you here's could- the thing. The butter roasted curried cashews that we <gasps> make here for our spinach salad would be delicious on chocolate. Yes, just saying. Just saying. I wonder where I can get the recipe yeah. for that. There might be a book in this uh, gift might. shop over here that has that recipe. That. Once again, Tom. not to mention the prime rib roast recipe. And, and I'm sure there's there. a rub that could go well with a chocolate. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, that was fun. Yeah, I, I think we've inspired people to make their own little what? How do you Mendion. call it? Mendion. Mendion. You, you I'm miss- going to be so elegant when I, I say that. Uh, I would tell you to go get a Yule log at the Dahlia Bakery this weekend, but they're all sold out, which is nice. The other things to go with chocolate crinkle cookies. Oh, I love somebody those. better be making some crinkle Molten cookies. chocolate cakes, chocolate hazelnut tort. That would I be up my that. alley. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm not the biggest chocolate person. Okay. When we come back, we're going to make a standing rib roast right here on the air uh, from Bruce Idell's book. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM on Cairo. Our chocolate rain. 
makes the best of friends begin to fight chocolate rain. But did they know each other in the light chocolate rain? Every February washed away chocolate rain. Stays behind his colors celebrate chocolate rain. Eat steak and steak, eat a big old steer. Eat steak and steak, do we have one beer? Eat beef, 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 it's a mighty good food. It's a great day, when I'm in the mood. We're here in the hot stove kitchen talking Christmas and holidays and all the other goodness that's happening this time of year. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. We have a lively audience that just ate a fennel and pear hand pie. Is that what he said? Is yeah. that what he said? Fennel and pear hand pie. They look pretty happy about it, too. Yeah. Hand pies are one of those things you just make in a large batch. You can freeze them as in the raw form, and then you just pull them out and bake them up when you're ready for them. I, told I have you, a recipe in my book for that. I, I told know. you I made the carrot ones last week. And they With were, the whole wheat crust? Bought oh. the crust at Coyles. Oh. You bought the crust? At Coyles, yeah. It was what spectacular. What happened to my Pamela? That was... <laughs> Wait, what? Now she's buying the dried know, fruit. She's like, buying uh, the... She definitely gave up on have, the idea of I getting... I used to have so much respect. <laughs> I think she figured out how to not do the dishes. She's not okay, making let's, any Okay, let's make a standing rib roast, Chef. Uh, I will, can I just preface this on okay. what to buy? Sure. Okay, so a standing rib roast is basically a, a rib roast that has the bones in it still, right? right? It's a beef rack. It's a rib roast without the bones, but it's not a standing rib roast. What do you mean just, it's just a rib roast without the bones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it's a standing rib roast, it has the bones on Correct. it. Correct. Okay. And then it's not prime rib unless it's prime. <laughs> yes. Okay? Because yes. everyone wants to call it prime rib, right. but it's not. Right. It's choice rib, or it's select rib, or it's wagyu rib, or it's prime rib. Right. Depending on the grade of the meat, right? Well, the English language got a little bit taken with the prime rib word. Yes, and yes, they did. People like the word prime rib. I just saw... Standing rib, prime rib roast at Costco for 14 bucks a pound. Pamela bought hers at our good buddy Donnie from, from down at Don and Joe's Meats. Yeah, that's what I was I'm go- hoping this is his last Christmas. He's been trying to sell his company for quite a while now, so I'm hoping this, this is his last Christmas. I think I bought my last turkey from him. So now we have a standing rib roast, and I think uh, about a bone per person. Yeah, so seven bones. Right, a bone per person is a... It's, it's a, lot a lot for me. So if you have 10 I'm, people, I'm a bit I would older say at now. least... I'm not, I'm not taking that kind of much meat. Too much. For dinner. For me, it's like three ounces. Well, if that's too much, I'm not coming to dinner. Three, four <laughs> ounces. No, I'm going to give you that much, but I'm not going to eat that much. Okay, good. I don't care how much you eat, because I want my guests to be happy, but... <laughs> but you, are, you also want to have leftovers. No, no, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah that makes yeah. great tacos, I mean. Yeah, it, you can do anything with the rib roast. So, okay, so now we've purchased the rib roast. Do you remember what you asked Donnie for? Five bone. There's, what? Aren't there 17 of us? Yeah. Uh, well, we have people that don't eat meat. We have some halal eaters, and we have some children. So you'll have plenty. Tom and is it's already, a standing rib love, roast. It's on the bone. Tom. It's on the Tom bone. Tom is already worried that he's not going to have know. enough food. <laughs> Going to someone's house. You know, you stock up on the caviar. Just a little bit less beef and have some of the other stuff, too. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> okay, so you gave me a recipe from Bruce Idell's book called The Great Meat Book, right? Yes. And um, Bruce Idell, as, as many of us know, is the guy with the chubby cheeks on meatballs and sausages at your local grocery store. That's the business he was in until he sold his image and his brand. I bet his books did more for him, though, because his books are uh, so highly regarded uh-huh. and flawless. But, yeah, you don't, no, he, they didn't. 
They didn't. He made millions of On the company. selling yeah. a sausage yeah, company. Exactly. <clears throat> Darn. So, I mean, that's a lovely thought, but that's just not the case. So, Stanley Ribros, his recipe calls for taking that bone and taking a knife and running it against the bone and separating the roast from the bone except for about three quarters of an inch at the end. That's the part I'm nervous about. Well, I'll, I'm going to do this for you. Goodness! <laughs> um, I, I do have some issues with his recipe, though, so I'm just saying. Oh, so well, let's, so, let's dissect so it. So let's We're explain going to. why he does that, first of all. So what he's doing there, he's, he's stuffing his rib roast. So oh. he's making an Italian sausage and bread stuffing like you might make for, for a turkey, but he's making it, and he's putting it... So he sliced that open. He's taking that, and it says fill in the gaps between the bones with the stuffing. There's no gaps. Number I one. know I couldn't picture. Unless you're going to dig out the meat between yeah. the bones, there's no gaps. Right. No. Number two, you're going to put the stuffing in, and you're going to retie the rib roast. You know, it's still connected by that three quarters of an inch. You're going to retie it to the bones of the rack. That's what he says to do. Yes. Now my problem is, if you want that rib roast at a hundred uh, medium rare. You're only going to be able to roast that roast to 125 degrees. And then it rests and it gets to 130 for, for Never get medium rare sear. You won't get a sear, but you also get stuffing that's not cooked. That's got raw meat juices in it, yeah. essentially yeah. from the middle of the roast. And it's not cooked enough yeah, to, to a, a proper temperature. See, it's funny because I thought he was doing the, the cut to the bone to open the bone to cook the rib, the, the meat better. Yeah, like, but he's, no, 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 that's not it, because he's tying uh, it all back together. It's a little bit like putting stuffing in a turkey. Uh, you know, the stuffing by, if, in my restaurant, that stuffing has to be at 155 degrees. Yeah. Or else you can't serve it. It should be in anybody's restaurant. Well, I'm just saying. So, <laughs> in my mind, while I, too. while I love Bruce, and I love the idea that the meat is dripping into the stuffing. I know. He's already got Italian sausage in there. Just don't do the stuffing part. Put that in a side casserole, make it crispy. I personally, since you, you have a bunch of veg heads coming to the house, I would just leave idea. the sausage out and make a good, like, porcini mushroom stuffing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen my porcini rub over there on that, <laughs> in the gift shop over there. But, but, no, honestly, I just think for a big group like that where the roast is going to be sitting around and cooked on low, I mean, you're, you're probably going to be cooking it for, uh, if you're letting me cook it, I'll put it on the charcoal grill and get it out of your kitchen way. Ooh. Right? So, because you want to free up your oven to cook other things at your house. You have 17 people, you have yeah, a lot to do. especially a, a rib roast. I yeah. mean, that's a big piece so of So, I would do it on 275 to 300 degrees for it, this time of year with how cold it is outside. I would even go it's higher. It's going to take it. three hours to cook in your, in your grill to get it to 125. And I don't want to make it too rare because you don't like rare. But that's what I would do with this particular recipe. I'd put the stuffing on the side. And go from there. Any other and, thoughts on that? No, but I'm with you, Pam. I, I personally, I don't like it when it's rare. I don't like it because it's, to me, it's Just like... a big pile of raw it's meat. It's a big pile of raw meat. And if I want a steak tartare, I'll have that first and yeah. or do something different. But I'm with you. It should be cooked all the way to 130 plus because you're going to have a medium rare to light medium on the, on the cooking. And I think that's a better piece of meat. But definitely, I would not do that system of sausage on the, or ground pork on the, on the front of the bone like that. I'm not buying that either. Well, the sausage is pre-cooked, I will say that. But all of that is that oh, the just... the sausage is pre-cooked? Yeah, but it's still, it's never going to get above 125 degrees when you reheat for three hours. Oh, that's true. You're asking for trouble. I yeah, am I mean, so glad we've had this conversation because I, uh, I think you've just saved dinner. 
But so really what I'm interested in is the whiskey sauce and the horseradish crema. <laughs> yeah, I, I think... Well, that I doesn't think, surprise me. Here's the thing. We, I just made beef demi. Jackie and I just made beef demi the other night. So we'll bring some of that over and... Beef what? Uh, demi glaze. Oh, yeah, wow. That's what will make the sauce. Because I think... I think that's what a big ribros need is a good sauce. Yeah, that's so what you I can want. have. It's a whiskey all that, sauce. All that beef, especially if somebody eats the whole chop, that's a lot of beef in the middle that has not much more flavor. Once you eat the first bite, you get the taste for the rest of the it. The outside, right? The outside yeah. is the flavor. The outside is the best part. That's so, why when I'm her wingman cooking it, I'm also the carver. I also get the end cut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's my favorite. All right, we have to move on from our standing rib roast. It's not, well, we, it, you did by Prime, right? Yeah. Donnie wouldn't <laughs> let me get away without Good anything Good job. Else. Now we can call it Prime Rib Roast. <laughs> Here we go. Coming up in the second hour, what cocktail are you going to leave for Santa? Dressing up our vegetables and a gingery gingerbread recipe by my wife, Jackie Cross. All still to come on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. 97.3 FM. I'll have some clam chowder followed by beefsteak on rye, pumpkin pie with cream and coffee. I want a green salad on the side, don't forget the french fried pizza pie, garlic and anchovy. All right, here we go. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. Tom Douglas. Terry Rotaro, the chef in the hat. We got a full more hour. I listen to a golf on uh, Sirius Satellite Radio once in a little while, and the, the guy always says, we have a full more hour <laughs> to come at you. So it's, it's funny. I like it. We've got so much to take care of in this hour. We're going to talk Christmas cocktails or wintertime cocktails. Uh, we're going to uh, talk about how to dress up veggies for a, a fancy dinner like we might have during this uh, next couple, couple of weeks. We're going to talk about... Food for Thought, Tasty Trivia. And then uh, in the middle of all that, Jackie is here to give us her version of the gingeriest gingerbread cake. I can't wait for that. We're going to try it, and we're going to critique it. We're going to try two different ones. Yeah, we have competing gingerbreads today. Oh, interesting. Didn't know that. Uh, Okay, let's start with wintertime cocktails. Pamela... I don't. I, I've been to your house a million times. I've, you've never served me a wintertime cocktail. So <laughs> these, is, these are for Santa, not for you. Oh, these are for Santa. Oh. Well, you could look like Santa. Tom. I, I do look like a little bit like Santa. The bowl full of jelly, if you know what I mean. Tell us about what you're leaving for Santa this year. Well, um, you know we have a talented mixologist here at Hot Stove, Julie Ross, and she's doing a winter cocktail class tomorrow. That got me thinking about this, and she's doing. Ginger whiskey sours, a peppermint patty, grandma's spiced eggnog, and the one that I'm excited about, the cranberry thyme fizz. So that got my flavor juices. thyme fizz. fizz. Okay, so tell us what that is. Yeah, what is that? Uh, She's made a cranberry simple syrup. Okay. And has been, I don't know. Macerated with thyme? Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if she's using uh, water or I imagine it's Prosecco. Prosecco would be more <laughs> to likely. To give it that extra yeah. lift. Uh-huh. And, um, but it's going to be real pretty. But I'm going to make uh, for Santa uh, a warm apple cider drink with bourbon in it. Because he's cold. Yeah. He's been flying around. Do you so. have an ulterior motive <laughs> while you're trying to get Santa drunk? You want the present to be bigger? 
No. So the recipe I found for that is it's inspired. It's called a woodchuck warmer. And woodchuck was an old nickname for people from Vermont. So this recipe has maple syrup in it. Mm. They call so the people from Vermont woodchuck? Yeah. Yeah, it was oh. a nickname for Vermonters. On the so Apparently they could throw a log a very long ways. <laughs> <laughs> Chopped apples. Oh, it has lemon, cinnamon sticks, whole cloves, star anise, which is always so pretty in a cocktail, fresh ginger, maple syrup, and bourbon. Nice. Yeah. But I which like they don't point, make in Vermont. I would, <laughs> like, I would like to point out that star anise might be pretty, but it certainly is a beautiful flavor. The release of star anise, I think, is very beautiful. And you have to be careful, right? Because it's strong. Yeah, you strong. have to be careful. It's very strong. But it's a, uh, I think it's a spice and people don't use enough. Like you, they look in their cupboard, they go, oh, that's pretty. And they go, what do I do with that? Well, I, I think, think it's, you told me to, uh, to add it when you were caramelizing onions. Yeah. And that has been a game changer. Yeah. No, it's a very good uh, flavor and answer. And if you're really, uh, what do you call that, savvy? No, not savvy. But you can take it after you've done that with your onions, take it out, rinse it off. Leave it on the counter on a paper napkin and let it dry out. And there's still plenty of flavor left in that. My point is you can reuse it a few times. No one does. <laughs> Look at him. He's looking at me like, why would you do this? We chef. All right. What are your chef. Santa cocktails, please? Well, I went into mine a little bit at the beginning of the show. My Santa cocktail this year is a chai toddy, which uh, I've, for the last year, I've gotten into chai teas, but not with milk or anything like that. Just a regular chai tea bag. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's funny in my life, there's things that, like, I used to hate omelets until I had the perfect omelet outside the Louvre in Paris. Now I love omelets. Uh, I you used love Paris. That love made Paris. you love omelets. He used to poop with the French, and now he goes on vacation for a month at a time in France. I'm like, <laughs> that's some serious turnaround, and I'm very excited to see I that. I was never a soup person until we kind of started making homemade soups for the freezer and stuff like that. Now, I, I actually look forward to... A late night, I've been working all night after here at the hot stove or something. I go home, just pop the soup on the stove nice, out of the freezer. Nice. It's such a little taste of home. Like oh my in my God, freezer right not, now, I have ham, know, it, ham and bean. I have chicken veggie. I have beef barley. I've got butternut squash. What? And I've got corn chowder because I had a bunch of corn at the end uh-huh, of the season. Uh-huh. So I just made little pints of corn chowder. That's all in my freezer right now. Yeah. That's I awesome. have and turkey. I made turkey soup out of the Thanksgiving leftovers. I have tomato soup and I have a lot of chicken stock. I love making chicken stock. Kathy loves to make chicken stock also. Because chicken stock is like, you get that in your freezer, you just pop it up. You can make a soup in like 20 minutes. You get the most gorgeous soup on your yeah. leftover rice, leftover yeah. chicken, Clean leftover out the broccoli, yeah. leftover anything. You put everything into the chicken stock, you get this wonderful soup. Is this a soup segment or a cocktail segment? It's a cocktail segment. <laughs> Thank anyway, you. Anyway, we're going back to the chai toddy. <laughs> and then I put some alcohol in my soup. <laughs> <laughs> we're going back to the chai toddy. I've learned to like chai so that my drink is the chai tea with a shot of smoky scotch, like Art Bag oh. or Lefroy. Mm-hmm. And that's time for Terry. <laughs> what's, your crisps, what's your wintertime cocktail? My wintertime cocktail will be creme anglaise, which is basically the eggnog story. Um, except I, I really don't like the one you buy in the store. I don't, only because... What a shocker. No, it's just, I, this is a flavor I'm not... That Smith Brothers that they brought last week was really good. That was good. really good. Delicious. That was actually the best You know, you can buy that in the store. Yeah, no, I know. But I like to make... It's okay. I like to make it. I have time. I make it. It's lovely. You know, I get farm eggs, I get the whole beautiful roundabout. So, you know, you make a beautiful batch of creme anglaise, you make, 
you know, like uh, two quarts of creme anglaise, and then you get enough creme anglaise to last for a couple of weeks or a few days. And uh, the booze would be, um, you're going to be amazed by that. Italian, um, uh, not aquavit, what do you call the moonshine? Oh grappa. God. I'm sorry, grappa. So take Whoa. a beer. This year, this is what I did. Amandino gave me some grappa. Amandino Batali gave me some grappa. And I took some of the grappa and mixed it with the creme anglaise. i tell you one thing. Makes you want to drink creme anglaise by the bucket. <laughs> so do you, uh, do you fold in egg whites to your eggnog? Or? Yes. Yes, you do. I do. So I you have fold like egg whites floating. at the end. Not, not meringue, just egg whites. Uh-huh. Fold it into the creme anglaise at the end. So it's a nice and light mm-hmm. creme anglaise. And then you put the booze in there. Yeah, ooh, you're an international winter cocktail man. But uh, uh, talking back about, by the way, creme anglaise with star anise. You put a couple of star anise in there when you're doing your creme anglaise in your cream. Perfect. It's steep and it's delicious. All right, let's dress up some veggies for our holiday tables. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling, tossed salads and scrambled eggs. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged. We're making Christmas dinner or holiday dinner, whatever you choose to celebrate on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society show. And we've made a, a standing rib roast, and now we want some fancy veggies to go with it. So, Pam, you're the veggie queen. You like to serve a rainbow on every dinner plate. It's difficult during a holiday supper, especially with something like prime rib that takes up a good chunk of the plate. What are you going to serve uh, at your Christmas Eve supper? Well, I was going to do cauliflower gratin, uh-huh. but um, my eye has now discovered this Harissa sweet potato tart tatin. Oh, doesn't that sound spectacular? Yes, it does. So yeah. I'm going to make a pivot to that. And I also, and you are going to poo-poo this, but there's a beautiful seared radicchio with beets and pomegranates. Hmm. And you make it into a pinwheel shape with the radicchio. Mm-hmm. So... That's where I'm going to start. See, I love, that I love sounds how, horrific to me. I keep, I, keep forgetting, I keep forgetting how people always think with their eyes. You know, mm-hmm. she, she's looking at the, oh, the final product looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. To me, the first thing I think about is the amount of bitterness you're adding to beets. It's one thing that I think turns people away from beets is the bitterness. So you're adding bitterness to beets. So beets aren't bitter. Well, they have a... It tastes like mud. And, yeah, mud and... It's got some They're sweet. bitter to it. France, makes, fr- France cultivates the most sugar beets in the world. Yes. Yeah. I was a child drinking out of those beets, picking <laughs> them out of the field. Okay, so um, beets with radicchio and, and pomegranate. pomegranate. So juice or seeds? Seed. And so are you going to, the seeds are raw? You're not going to cook the seeds, no. right? Okay, so they're roasted finishing. beets. And with seared finishing. radicchio. And what's the dressing? It's a, like a oil and vinegar. Okay. Dressing. That sounds pretty fancy. If you're dressing up for the holidays, that sounds yeah. pretty fancy. Yeah. Personally, for me, I would put it on a separate plate. I think so. Because the ble- beets are going to want to bleed, and you've already got prime rib on the plate. and could get messy. could get messy. So I like the idea of the sweet potato <laughs> tart to ten on the plate um, with the yeah. steak, and then the side salad. And Brussels sprout. Tell, take, us something take us through it. Take us through an upstanding, like a fancy. upscale, fancy So because Brussels you have time and because it's a holiday, 
I would cut my Brussels sprout to the leaves. I would take the leaves out and use nothing but the leaves. So you take your, you take your leaves, you put them in a the bowl, a tiny bit of olive oil and some good seasoning, you know, like a spice rub. The Tokyo rub is a, from Rub With Love is a beautiful uh, rub to use for that. Nice you, plug. Thank you. I like the, well, I like the, what do you call it? The spunkiness there is in that rub. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's a good, good thing to go on the leaves. Put that, make sure your oven is at the highest level possible and uh, make sure that it was 20 minutes ago then you turn it on then flash your sheet pan of leaves in the oven for about four minutes and your leaves in four minutes are going to become just dry on crisp and that's all you need you don't want to i'm not trying to often we go for char and all that stuff i'm trying to get them tenderized wilted and the spice to actually enter the the you know to be crispy a little bit and get that flavor that's all. And then you put that on the side of your prime rib, and I think that's a nice little balance. I would are you also, dressing them with anything, or just the olive oil that you roast them with? the spice. There is a little salt. Okay. You, know, it's, you don't need anything else. Just that. Yeah. <clears throat> Keep it nice, a little green freshness on the plate. And also, I would make an endive radicule and pomegranate seed salad, oil and vinegar, salt and pepper, and that's it. That would be maybe some arugula, if you find some nice fresh arugula, to put on the side of your rib roast, because... Because I can't eat a plate without something that to balance it out. Talking about veggies and all that stuff. I'm a big lover of a good, fresh, crispy salad on the side. So if you can't find endive and radicchio, use some crispy romaine. That's also a great vessel and a good green to hold on to. And it's something you can season a little bit ahead and it won't go peer on you and melt down. So it's a good crispy salad to go with your... I'm going to cherry pick from both of you. I love the sweet potato tartatan idea. So tartatan, basically you're taking a nice big chunk of sweet potato and caramel and putting your pastry crust on the top. And so you cook it upside down, basically. Oh, That's what a tartatan is. You put the apples on the bottom, put the pastry on top. This recipe didn't have a crust. Well, how can it be a tartatan? (laughs) Because just just, using uh, the potatoes as the crust. No. Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, you have to call it something different then. <laughs> it can't be a tart without a crust. Exactly. <laughs> I just love the revelation of, oh, there's a crust. Did you see Terry's face when you said that? <laughs> like, I was like. <laughs> First of all, tart to tan. The tan is an apple, so we were just doing it in the style of tart to tan. In the style of. I just yeah. love the revelation. So in the style of tart to tan, you have to have a crust. Jerry, what are we going to do with her? I don't know. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting more shocked as we move on. So I'm going to do a dish that I did the other night, uh, which was I had all this beautiful escarole. Mm. And so I took a big saute pan and I put a really healthy squeeze of anchovy paste, oh, a really fantastic. healthy amount of garlic, big spoon of dried red chilies, yeah. maybe not so big a spoon, a half a, a, half, a, half a spoon, spoon. Right. Uh, fresh chopped thyme, Fresh lemon zest and a ton of olive oil. Oh, that's I just sauteed that until the garlic was cooked, and uh-huh. then I put in my chopped escarole and just did these kind of wilted, beautiful, fresh greens. That, that sounds uh, delicious. What did we have that with, Jackie? I forget what that was served. Oh, we had uh, rigatoni and meatballs with that little bit of yeah, yeah. fresh kind of. It's almost like a banya calda idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, that um, the anchovy with the escarole. That's it's really First a good class, combination yeah. of fresh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's nice and tart and, and delicious and would go great with the prime rib. It would go great with our sweet potatoes. <laughs> Without a crust. <laughs> Without a crust. And uh, making... the last thing you love is the horseradish cream, right? Yeah. That's your favorite? Yeah, that's the whole reason to have meat. 
to eat the horseradish. Yeah, exactly. yeah. For me, it's, there is no no way I would eat that with a Dijon mustard. Some the nice, meat, nice piquant Dijon mustard on the side. Oh yeah, because I'd be you'd be dipping. I'd be covering my meat with Dijon mustard to have a nice bite of seasoning. Yeah. Now, if you look at my book, which Pamela didn't, you would see that there is a mustard and rosemary crust on my rib which roast. Which book, Tom? You have four yeah. of them. Yeah, exactly. It's in the crab cake book. <laughs> <laughs> the dork. That, to me, is like, if you put the mustard, I love that idea, with your salad. Yeah. And the crispy salad, the sweet potatoes, the greens, maybe the salad and the greens is redundant, so I would stay with the red, the red bitter salad, and then the, the beef. Uh, are you going to take your beef to a certain temperature? You said you don't like it too rare. Oh, I rare. definitely go 130, 135. So medium. You like it medium. I do too because cooked beef tastes better than raw beef, Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah. I'm not a big uh, tartare fan. Especially if you eat more than one bite. I mean, if you eat a couple of bites, it's one thing. But if you eat a whole, you know, rib roast, yeah, absolutely. You know, when you go to Alba or the center of Piedmont there, they have uh, the tartare on every menu. And you watch these ladies, these little skinny little ladies power through plate of meat. It's impressive. <laughs> Big raw plate of raw yeah. meat. Eight ounces of raw meat on the plate. Oh, my God. It's unbelievable. They call it uh, crudo. Uh, what is it? Crudo. Crudo. And you need a big glass of Nebbiolo. Yeah. Yeah. I often say to people, you know, you go to France, you go to a, a two-star restaurant, and people go, oh, you know, we, had, we didn't have any vegetables. And I go, vegetable is what you eat seven days out of the week from your home. You know, when you go to a three-star restaurant, you're not looking for veggies. You're looking for caviar, lobster, foie gras, things you don't normally eat. It's a special treat. It's a special event. You're not looking to eat steamed broccoli, believe me. But you're I will say, to- Chef, that changed 20-some years ago. Correct. Uh, with uh, George LeBlanc and, the, the, you know, with the whole spa cuisine where yeah. they celebrated vegetable preparations. Correct. You still didn't get steamed broccoli, but right. you did get beautiful yeah, vegetable and it, preparations. And it has changed because more and more people go to restaurants more and more often. <laughs> So it's not as much, but, you know, in the old days, you go to the restaurant, it was a celebration. You go to a restaurant like that, you know, once every two years or whatever. So you were not going there to eat vegetables. You didn't go lunch and dinner like we do? (laughs) No, absolutely not. (laughs) All right, gingerbread. Let's talk the gingeriest gingerbread when we come back on Cairo. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. We're having a ball here today. We've uh, made Santa cocktails. We've uh, cooked a standing rip roast. We've thought about some delicious veggies to go uh, with that rib roast and some uncrusted tart tatan of, of, of sweet potatoes. It's even hard to say. I know. Much less do. I, that's never, uh, I don't even think I've ever seen that. Now before. we're going to wrap up dinner with a little dessert, and it's the time of year for these kind of warm spiced cakes. And so Jackie, uh, my partner in life, my partner in business, the mother of my granddaughter, the grandmother of my grandchild, <laughs> <Wait>. Hercules. <laughs> Woo! Woo! Wow. 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 I am very important. Your business card uh, card might be really long. (laughs) Tell us what we've got in front of us here. So there's two different gingerbreads. I'll talk. Oh, I forget. She's also the farm queen of our Prosser Farm. (laughs) Yes. 
I'll talk about the one that I made. So I made the Food 52 uh, recipe that they say is the gingeriest gingerbread. Mm-hmm. Um, just just to clear up the air, because I think I people are wondering, Tom, don't you have a recipe for gingerbread in one of your books? Well, yes, I do. Yes, I do, as a matter of fact. Obviously, it's not cutting the mustard today. Thank you very much. I did okay. not make that recipe. Yeah. I made a different recipe. It's a delicious recipe. recipe. It is a delicious recipe. Try it. Absolutely. So. All of people out there that have Tom's book make that gingerbread. No. Neither of these. Okay. However, in Food 52, the ginger in of gingerbread. The Food 52 recipe says um, fresh ginger, powdered ginger, and ginger beer. And they amp it up quite a bit, so there's a lot of all of that. I like that it has a lot of ground pepper in it also. The black pepper really gives it a little spike in there. Um, I made the cream on the side that goes with it, and that is just a sour cream mix with brown sugar and ginger as well to kind of give it a little extra ginger kick. Oh, was it this from that recipe mm-hmm. as well? From that recipe oh, okay. also on Food 52. So, so, and the other one... So I tell us, no, tell us, okay. finish off on the, on the one that you made. So you made it in a Bundt cake I made it pan. in a Bundt cake pan. Is yeah. that what they suggested? Um, yes, okay. they did. Suggested a tube pan, so I made it in the Bundt. Um, How was it to work with? It was really easy. It was a pretty simple recipe. You make all your uh, dry ingredients, wet ingredients separate. I you, saw though that I saw that you were boiling ginger. Yeah, well, I boiled the molasses and the ginger beer together, and then added the, the baking soda to that. The soda to that, so it makes it really bubbly, and it mm-hmm. all explodes and does all this stuff. And then you let that kind of uh, cool down to room temperature. Um, and then you start mixing it in with your wet ingredients, and you have to cool it so that it doesn't cook the eggs and stuff when you put it in. Right. A little bit at a time, just like making a creme glaze or something like that. And then um, then add that to your dry ingredients. Oh. And then mix it and put it in the pan. So it was really relatively So somebody easy. listening right now uh, who isn't the best baker mm-hmm. just heard you say that was a super simple recipe and that was easy and... <laughs> And then listening to you actually describe what you did just doesn't feel that way. No, it's pretty, actually, because you make all three things separately. Uh-huh. And so you can put all your dry ingredients together in one, your wet ingredients in one, and you just mix them. So you're never kind of in a rush to you're get You're not yeah. in a rush. Yeah. You can take your time right. and stuff. And you have you to can let take the, your time. And it, yeah. it's really hard to screw up. I mean, it's not, it's, it's not simple. It's so you know, it's not a fine crumb cake. It's a right. little bit rustic and uh, stuff. So it goes great with a cup of tea. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, it is a little drier than a lot of gingerbreads mm-hmm. are. Well, so. actually, I was thinking what? of my star anise creme anglaise with a little bit of yeah in it. I thought that would be a nice accompaniment to this. So the I biggest think, okay. the biggest compliment to any recipe is, would you make it again? How do you feel about that? I think I would make it again. Uh-huh. I think, Stacey, it's a little bit denser than I would like it to, to be and stuff. But I also think... That is the nature of this cake and stuff, and it is like a delicious coffee kind of cake or tea cake mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, that you could have. Well, I so. really like the aftertaste. What you're left it with as a mouthfeel is absolutely beautiful. I think I toyed with a little bit of maybe like chopping up some candy ginger and putting on the cream or maybe in the bottom of the bunt and stuff and then putting all the right. stuff on top of it, and you might get a little bit of that crystallized on you top, could even which would be it kind into of fun. The cake too. But the, yeah, the aftertaste is really nice because it's got that fresh ginger flavor. Ginger it is very had a lot of very fresh grated ginger in it, for sure. And uh, the pepperiness, the, the tang, you know, that pepperiness you get from ginger, but also from the pepper you put in there. It's really delicious. Good, good. Uh, so I asked Eamon to make a competitive one from a cookbook that I really admired. That, that was my benchmark for gingerbread. So it comes from Boulder, Utah, Hell's Backbone Grib with mm-hmm. a measure of grace. They call theirs 
dark magic. But um, when I saw the Food 52, I said, I, I do want more ginger. Mm-hmm. So I want Eamon to talk about what it was. this recipe was. So like. Eamon is a chef, a chef here at the Hot Stove Society. And Eamon, you got to come bring that mic right up to your face. I'll bring myself right up to the okay. mic if that's all right. Good idea. <laughs> uh, it was a very simple recipe, uh, very similar to yours. I think in comparison, the uh, primary note for this cake was the large addition of molasses. And I think that may have slightly overwhelmed the ginger uh, effect. But uh, So if I was to make it again, that's how I would adjust this recipe. But making it was extremely uh, simple. Uh, Instead of a bunt pan, it called for a 9 by 13 uh, bread pan, uh, just simply uh, lined with butter. And then it was just a simple uh, method of creaming uh, butter and sugar, adding eggs, then a a dry blend and spices. Uh, It called for an addition of fresh pears as well as some candied ginger. But I think uh, in this case, those additions are completely optional and you could leave them out if you didn't have them on hand. So the pears that you put in, were they pureed? Because I don't see any pear chunks. Oh, you didn't put any in. No, I did. did. But it was a small dice. A small dice. So they kind of melted. The bite I had had a nice bite of pear in it. I think that's nice. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would add more next time if I was doing mm-hmm. it, and I would probably add them to the top of the cake because I think in this instance they sunk to the bottom mm-hmm. and kind of made that layer a little bit more soggy than I would have wanted. And I, I think it's funny because I'm always the one saying, oh, cut your, your fruit down and make sure you have a, a piece of fruit per bite. But I think in this case I would have kept it a little bit bigger to be able to test it more. I think the flavor would have come through better in that yeah, case, yeah. yeah. We have a, the one in my book is a little bit similar to this more moist one compared to Jackie's, which is more of a tea cake. But I took, the, I took butternut squash, put it in the bottom, made caramel, and made an upside-down gingerbread cake with a butternut squash topping. The pears would work beautifully yeah. in that very mm-hmm. same thing. Jackie, you tried both. Um, I tried both. I love the moist. They're very different. Uh, yeah, they're very different. I liked both of them for different things. I really like the moistness of Amon's and stuff, the, the recipe yeah. that he used. I really like that, uh, uh, and it's a little bit lighter crumb um, and a little moister. I like the ginger flavor a lot in the one that the Food Fifty Two mm-hmm. one that I made. So I, I like both. I think. Yeah, I think a combination of both is mm-hmm. perfect. Word there. I think uh, I like the claim that that's the gingeriest gingerbread because I think it is that I've yeah. ever had. Yeah, yeah. It really just jumps at you. Yeah. If you if you don't like ginger, that's not the one. <laughs> you <know>. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and I like the idea of the pear on the moist yeah. uh, cake you made because I think it's a that's the like first the pear thing. on top rather than yeah. in yeah the caramelized pear on top because I think it would be the first thing that would come to mind is ginger and pear. Mm-hmm. What a great combination for sure. So. I liked the project, and it said in the preface to the Food 52 one that they were trying, uh, the author, the cook, was trying to improve on Claudia Fleming's The Last Course mm-hmm. from the Gramercy, who's just yeah, like yeah. a soul, recognized as one of the finest pastry chefs in America, mm-hmm. and so that her gingerbread recipe is what started it all, mm. but then the um, goal was to just... Amp it. Amp it, and mm. I think it... I think, it, yeah. You know, when I was a kid, we always got to pick what we wanted for our birthday dessert, and I would often pick my mother's spice cake Mm. with a little bad domino sugar box frosting. Which I loved. Cause That's it was, my favorite. It was kind of so frosting. sweet. With butter, right? You creamed it with yeah, butter yeah, and, exactly. and vanilla and yeah. salt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's right on the side of the box of the powdered sugar. So yeah, awesome. Uh, let's go back to the sauce for one second on this cake. 
I don't love the sour cream sauce. To you me, like it's a, a little bit it wicked seemed, for... It seemed a little heavy. Yeah, yeah. for this particular yeah. cake. The cake is so brightly gingered that I don't get the, the yeah, sour cream. That's what that. they called for. If I were to do that again, I would probably do a whip and add a little bit of sour cream to it. So you still got a little bit of that sour flavor. Uh-huh. I'd go ahead and use the brown sugar in it. I think that's nice. And I'd probably use a little of the ginger, but I'd basically whip with a little bit of sour cream in it and not just plain sour cream. That seems pretty, I pretty think heavy uh, duty. You could also do a lemon yeah, coffee kind something. of idea mm-hmm. where you cook the uh, lemon slices in sugar syrup very slowly, and then you you could chop it down and then put that with your whipped cream. Yeah, a little bright would be yeah, nice. Yeah, that, would, that mm-hmm. would bring a little... I almost thing. just disagree with both of you. I just think a plain vanilla whip will accent the ginger rather than... And it just doesn't need any more, so... Jackie, thank you so much. How did the audience feel about your taste? So who, who liked the ginger gingeriest of us? Like the tea cake style? And who liked... The other one, the best from Pam, what's the name of that book again? A Measure of Grace. A Measure of Grace. The and just don't, don't forget that the recipe is in Tom's book. He wants you to know. The best one is in my book, yeah. And if you haven't heard it yet, what book is it? Is it exactly. Is it The Big Dinner? Which one is it? It's in Big Dinner, yes. Big Dinners. Okay. All right, it's time for Tasty Trivia. When we come back, brought to you by Rub With Love here at the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Do we never get an answer when we're knocking at the door? With a thousand million questions. It's time to play Rub with Love Tasty Trivia here in the Hot Stove Society Show. I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rutcher, the chef in a hat. We are joined in the hot seat by Marlo, who's having a birthday with us today the, uh, uh, here in the studio. Thank you for joining us. Thank, Thank you, you for, for being me. our willing victim. Rub with Love Tasty <laughs> Trivia is brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs, made right in Ballard at our warehouse in Ballard. Keep your pantry stocked with a nice assortment so you have a quick and easy way to augment your meals. You can buy them down at the Rub Shack. We have lots of gift packs here at the hot stove over in our gift uh, department. And there's uh, many places around town to buy them, including uh, Series by Ballard. Uh, we also are at the Seattle Made in Central Terminal at the airport. And the Made in Washington store. That's nice. There. What a great so, gift yeah. to take on the way out. On your way somewhere, take them yeah. a little salmon rub. It's so delicious. Okay, Pamela, how do we play the game and who's playing with us? And who's winning? That's the most important part. <laughs> yeah, because you already know who's going to win. Who's going to win? Each contestant's going to get five questions. And there's going to be someone who messes up bad and loses <laughs> and doesn't get many of the answers right. Is that Marlo? Is that what you're saying? No, birthday girl's going to triumph, Marlo. Oh. Yeah. I, hate, I hate when she knows the winner before she asks the question. She already announced it. Okay, um, I'll start. Chef in the hat. I'm usually the victim, so you know. A stolen is a German variety of which Christmas sweet treat? This is a uh, multiple choice. Is it a pumpkin pie, a fruit cake, a red velvet cake, or eggnog? A uh, fruit cake. Correct. Number two, in the Czech Republic, what kind of smelly soup is usually eaten on Christmas Eve. Is it a chicken soup, a fish soup, a gumbo, or a gazpacho? I'm going to go with a fish soup. It is, in fact, a, a carp soup, and it's served with potato salad. Sounds horrible. My favorite soup that uh, 
Peter Sipper used to make at La Boosnik. La Boosnik was yeah. the sauerkraut soup, and it had a yeah. little it had a little fragrance to it. Yeah. I thought that's what you were going to say. <laughs> Imagine it's like having a kimchi soup. I yeah, mean, it's exactly. like uh, you know, comes with it. Uh, Chesnica is a Christmas bread eaten in Serbia. What object is inserted into the dough before it is baked? Is it a thimble, a silver coin, robin's egg, or a lock of hair? I think it's a silver coin, so the next year you become wealthy. You are right. They pass the bread around uh, to family members, and each pulls off a piece, and the one that gets the coin gets the good luck. A Japanese Christmas cake is a sponge cake uh, with whipped cream icing and topped with which fruit? Kiwi, pumpkin, mango, or strawberries? I would say all of the above. They like it with strawberries. Is this, and finally, true or false, there was never meat in mincemeat? There was no meat. Originally, that's correct. There was no meat in Miss Mint originally? Is that what you're asking me? There, that is what she asked you. <laughs> there never was meat in mincemeat. Is that true or false? No, that's false. That's got to be false. It's, <laughs> it, it is false yeah. because the older I mean, recipes like, no had way. venison. Five for five? No, no, no four. Four, four. All right, Marla, let's do this. All Marla, right, see I'm ready. You see how easy it is? <laughs> in Finland, almost every family will have a roast Christmas ham. Oh, not that question. Served with which of the following condiments? Mayonnaise, ketchup, mustard, or soy sauce? Look at her. She's already phoning a friend. <laughs> okay. <laughs> On the very friend, first friend. question. I'm hearing mustard, though. Yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. <laughs> <laughs> they saved me from myself. Uh, so, uh, Chef, we don't have a chance. I know. It's with already burned to the ground. I can't and feel it. How do you know that? You don't look Finnish. And rutabaga. In Chile, uh, around Christmas, they enjoy an eggnog-like drink they call cola del mono. What special ingredient is added to make this drink different from North American eggnog? Is it champagne, prune juice, coffee, or peyote? <laughs> I'm going to guess coffee. Yes. All right. Oh, that was all on my own. Have you <laughs> nice job. In the country of Italy, Christmas is usually a day of penance when only bread and water is consumed. Is that true or false? Only bread and water in Italy on false. Christmas. That was tricky. Not the Italy that I go to. In the Christmas song, what was roasting on the open fire? Chestnut. Yay! <laughs> Chef, we Uh-oh. could be in serious I trouble I hear the here. bells ringing. Yeah. And finally, in Japan, which famous fast food restaurant brand is a traditional Christmas treat? KFC. Oh! And oh! <laughs> I heard that whisper all the way up here. That was a terrible whisper. <laughs> no. Tom Douglas. Yes. In the olden days. Oh, thank you for that. You know, when I wrote my in own cookbook. In 1897. Women in England who wanted to find a husband ate what at Christmas for good luck? Prunes. Gingerbread man. Gingerbread man. <laughs> what is the name of the traditional Italian cake eaten at Christmas? The one that's in my kitchen right now? Anatone. How many have you eaten? I'll just say this. My wife was a little PO'd at me for she should be. eating her gingerbread or her panettone because 
She paid $65 for I it. I know. But it was sitting on the counter, and she was in L.A. Right. <laughs> Fair game. So when she was, uh, so I had to go buy more. So now I have a chocolate, a lemon cherry, a orange, blood orange, and uh, yeah, I have many of the above. Panettone heaven. Yeah. Number three, in Australia and New Zealand, what do they normally eat uh, for Christmas lunch? Marmite. Uh, a barbecue. Kangaroo. <laughs> <laughs> they have a big roasty barbecue. Of kangaroo. Um, what is the most oh. popular Christmas <laughs> dessert in New Zealand? What happens with all multiple choice thing that everyone else got? I know. <laughs> multiple choice? Yeah. Okay. I would say, uh, well, they are, uh, or they were under the crown for a long time. So I'm going to say plum pudding. Close, pavlova. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say pavlova too. But it's Australia too. Pavlova. What, are, what do they know about pavlova? Okay, pavlova. you're a history buff, so this one will be easy. What was the world's heaviest Christmas present? I'll give we you a clue. We know it was a good kid or a bad kid because the bad kids got coal, and that, could, that can weigh a lot. The no, clue I think, I think is it's a monument. France. Yeah, the gift of the Oh, US. the Statue of Liberty. Yes! Yes! yes. yes. Heaviest Christmas present ever. Yes. Tom, the winner, Terry. You got two. <laughs> oh, thank you, Chef. I just thought I'd mention it. Um, Marlo, you're a winner. Oh, thank Bravo. you. Marlo gets to go pick out a three-pack uh, over there. We have the little boxes. You can make your own combination oh, thank out of you. the gift store. So help yourself. And not you don't your uh, your phone of friends don't get anything. <laughs> I'm I'm mad at them right now. If you want to be part of the show, you can join the community on YouTube Live on our Tom Douglas and Co channel. You're listening to us on uh, Hot Stove Society Show Cairo Radio. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley. She's a cheater. Uh, Sean McFadden is our technical director, and Sean Del Torre is our editor. Uh, remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and have a merry, merry Christmas. Woo!